Thank you so much, Jasmine, for joining us today for this space talk. We're going to hop right in since it's recording. <laughs> I want to start off with uh, where are you calling and just tell me a little bit about, you know, who is Jasmine? I'm calling from Los Angeles, California. I was uh, essentially born and raised here, but I'm from Arcadia, which is 25 minutes away from where I currently am in Chinatown. And uh, I mainly work in music as an audio engineer, uh, mainly court recording, which means I'm working with musicians of all kinds, singers, rappers, and yeah, recording their best performance for the songs for them to come out. And uh, yeah, I also play piano. I've played that since I was four, played flute since I was nine, currently teaching myself guitar. So I kind of just love to incorporate that into my everyday as well. That's awesome. How did you get into what you're doing? I'd always wanted to work in music, but like it wasn't like, or like I wanted music to be a part of my life because like I really did do that my whole life like starting piano at four was a hobby that my mom kind of wanted was just like let's have her pick up a hobby and then I was really lucky that they got me a piano it was like a local music store that was just a few few blocks down from my place when I was growing up in Monterey Park and I, it was kind of a thing where I had always wanted to keep doing it my parents would say like you're not trying to record like try to practice it's okay we can just stop and I was just like no I want to keep doing it oh it was funny like little kid jazz even when she was reluctant to to practice piano or practice flute like I still wanted to continue it there was always just like this weird persistence and uh yeah when I got to I guess high school and been part of a bunch of ensembles and I was just always wanting to like do as many music related things. And eventually I had a college preparation course uh, in my senior year where they were saying to interview someone just as like a kind of career day, I guess. And there was a saxophone instructor for band camp <laughs> who I knew that he released music uh, with his wife. They, they were a jazz duo which is so cute. They're called two as one, but as is like jazz, A-Z-Z. Oh, cute. Two as one. And they were the only people that I knew who have released music in like an album format. And I thought that's the only people who I know. And they're like, they're in their fifties, I think at that point. And, and we're still consistently put on music. So I went on to interview him uh, just to kind of acquire more about the recording process and then he broke it down to that oh okay when you're in this recording studio most of the times you're there with pretty much a fully fleshed out song ready to go uh so you're maximizing your time in the recording studio and when you're there there's usually a lead engineer so like the primary engineer and then the assistant engineer who's kind of helping with positioning microphones plugging in cables and making sure equipment is all routed the right way. And the main engineer is kind of doing more of the more creatively technical decisions of how are we placing things? 
what kinds of equipment are we using for different kinds of effects and quality and also just kind of running the actual recording process of saying like okay here's the next take and blah 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 blah. so he broke down that part and he was saying usually there's a producer too who is making main creative decisions of how are we going to have this song sound cohesive and complete and making it ready for for it to be heard outside of that room and um once I heard about that process I thought okay well engineering kind of sounds like all all the aspects of it sounded just fascinating to me and eventually I always thought that you know when in even like classroom projects where we're being creatively when we have had creative agency to like make video projects about I don't know like Othello or something like I would always naturally be inclined to be like okay I'll record all of us and like do all the editing for audio so I kind of just naturally gravitated toward that I was messing around on GarageBand that program I was just gonna say did you use GarageBand as a yeah kid? <laughs> I used GarageBand for like fun little effects and then when we were recording I somehow also picked up this so they're called digital audio workstations garage band is an example of that so i shortened that to daw d-a-w um there was another i mean like almost felt like an open source daw called audacity a-u-d-a-c-i-t-y which i think is so funny now because yeah (laughs) it's like you have the audacity um (laughs) but I kind of picked that up for some reason I don't remember why it was I guess a a pretty solid one for recording audio and it kind of felt more like in the vein of Pro Tools which is the software the DAW that I use nowadays for like that's the industry standard for recording and yeah I, I was just always kind of gravitated towards helming the the audio and musical stuff of things and so I'm like okay there's a way to actually make a living off that in the future and kind of combine both technical and my musical interests so I was just like all right I'm gonna go I'm gonna try to find a program in school for it and applied to a bunch of places and I ended up like going to UT simply because I had a scholarship and it made it actually cheaper to go. Um, and they had a new program that I also went to audition for, I think in January of the year that I graduated high school. And I kind of loved it there. Everything was just so different um, compared to USC, which is so close to home, I guess, for me. Um, even though USC has a more prestigious program, I thought, okay, well, Austin's also known for it's music to some extent, uh, more so live and just different genres. And when I was there, it was just very inviting. And I, yeah, just kind of fell in love with the, of the idea of going to school in Austin. And, um, then I got this, yeah, huge scholarship that let me on top of like a grant, let me pay in state as an out of state student which was way cheaper mm. than like the UC programs because just Texas was just cheaper. And so I thought, okay, well, it's going to cost me as much to stay local than to be like flying and going to school in Texas. So I'm going to do Texas. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome. Did you get to meet a lot of people that also were interested and had similar backgrounds? Of It almost sounds like self-taught audio engineering. Yeah, even going to school for it, it still felt self-taught. Like my professor, his name is Gary Powell, and he was, it, we were actually working out of his home studio, which was honestly actually very nice and unique in that way, that it was more uh, intimate our class for that specific recording program was actually maybe around 10 people nine people oh wow um so yeah it was like a close-knit group of us and we the thing is is so I guess to actually broad scope it too is that I I guess was only actually I was only one of that group that actually continued with the music career a lot of them went on to po- do- you mean post-graduation yeah post-graduation and a lot of them kind of like yeah. switched careers going into like nursing or more tech stuff or real estate or a lot of them also end up mm. just teaching and not just teaching this is like super crucial but you know it's they weren't going into as technical of a career as recording technology which was the the program that we were in mm. and uh, I mean I, I think we were all just experimenting at a time. It was actually kind of a fun thing where I remember it was every Wednesday we would meet for three hours at our professor's home studio and just kind of like mess around the whole time. Like he would try to explain concepts to us, but it just wouldn't click because you just, there's only so much of talking about recording that you'll learn versus actually doing it. So yeah, it's a it was a public school program and it was new, so we didn't even get to really use that studio until our very last semester. So yeah, a lot of it was just exper- experimentation on our own time, and we kind of just went to class just to get feedback, which was fine. It was uh, <laughs> a lot of YouTube University for sure, and um, yeah, I think I learned most of my chops and just pretty much everything I know on the job going from interning when I was like first starting back in like 2017 was when I did my first actual recording studio internship before I had just done a bunch of other internships that were like I actually interned for the recording academy for a bit for a whole year in college because it was actually paid so I was you know better than just slaving away for free for a sec And then that somehow kind of led me to go down a music PR route. They were just happened to be tangible jump off points because I was just going from like, who's willing to pay me? Who's willing to hire me? And uh, yeah, there was a point where I realized as much as I loved describing music and helping people learn more about really great music, I'm like, I'm just not cut out for following up and sending 300 emails every day and just only talking about music. I wanted to actually be a part of the making of it. And um, yeah, then I moved back in 2017. I I actually was in New York for half a year because of the PR job I did for music for a while. I moved back to LA and um, started working at this recording studio called Forecast Recordings, which was actually part recording studio and part experiential event space there it was this Mm. gorgeous 1920s like it used to be a toy factory slash warehouse and it got a 
like at one point it got covered um, and just became just like a regular warehouse. And when the company that I was working for, they were called the Great Company, which is actually a great, they, they do a lot of really cool experiential, experience, yeah, experiential marketing for all kinds of like film and comic companies where they're like Marvel and I, feel, I forgot there's a lot of brands that they worked with to kind of make experiential events. Yeah, they decided to remodel this space and like scrapped all the the new palettes that were on the wall and they exposed all these like gorgeous brick and this like extremely rare wood that comprised like all the oh, beams wow. and the floors. And it was basically like, it just felt like an old time capsule of 1920s. And so they made this like kind of like 1920s steampunky I don't even know how to describe it (laughs) it was just like a gorgeous space and so that's where I learned a lot of like live sound stuff too because they had they would sometimes host um kind of more intimate concerts there and do a lot of events and so I got to kind of get a little glimpse of everything of from live and recording the recording studio was on another corner of it and we actually had mainly just singers and rappers coming in through there. And I kind of just did a whole, like, I never did like a, there's a traditional route of becoming an engineer for like a major recording studio. There's a bunch called like East West United Conway recording studios West. Like there's a lot of these very classic or like sunset sound. These are very famous recording studios and there's because of their longstanding history, they've, grown this infrastructure of okay you can start off as an intern and then a runner which is someone who just like the intern usually is goal their main responsibilities are cleaning out the trash cleaning toilets uh preparing the car we we love that yeah like (laughs) that kind of stuff I think thankfully now they're trying to overturn that and making that just a runner job where you actually get paid to do that (laughs) but runner is like yeah people who actually like get the food to people and making sure all the equipment's there and yeah, running, running errands for them essentially. And then there you can graduate to assistant engineer where you actually would be like helping with setting up the cable instead of just giving people the cables giving the assistant engineer, the cable um, and setting up the microphones or just preparing whatever needs to be prepared until you finally become a staff engineer where you're actually running sessions and actually doing the recording. Yeah. I never actually like went through that kind of stage by stage process that a lot of, I guess, mainstream studio engineers have gone through. I've kind of like done this like little, I just call it like a wiggly process of, I was starting at this internship and it didn't seem like they had a need for another recording engineer like a staff recording engineer because their clientele weren't even that much at that point for recording specifically and they already had two main engineers and so I started to just hit up a bunch of other music technology companies there's one called Output that made software instruments and I just kept telling them hey I have this thing called perfect pitch (laughs) which is (laughs) this, I don't know if you could call it skill, but I guess it, I kind of think of it as a skill where you can hear a note played on an instrument 
or even through the voice, but for me, mainly it's actually instruments. Um, and you'll know exactly what note it is. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like I, I, I have that skill and I think part of it is from when I was yeah, starting music from a very young age, I think your brain kind of gets trained to that, but also to some extent, I think there is a certain level of like a natural born thing. Cause I have a cousin who also started around the same time as me and she doesn't have that skill, but also she kind of quit piano lessons maybe a little earlier than I had. So, so when, when did you realize that you had that? Like, was uh, there a moment where you went, holy shit, yeah. I am really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, there actually was a specific moment where part of the piano, there's like a year annual piano proficiency test. And it's like very popular among the Asian community in Southern California. <laughs> um, like if you have piano lessons, you're going to be doing this every year to kind of test your proficiency and like level up there's like 12 oh, wow. levels which kind of matches like from if you're going to start from first grade to high school essentially oh yeah like, um, what grade <laughs> exactly That's it's funny. like what grade of piano do you qualify for so it's it's a whole thing and part of and is level testing. 12 like the most competent of competent of competence is that like Allegedly. you're a virtuoso at, at I don't 12? think I yeah. ever went to that point <laughs> I think I went up to like level 10 because at a certain point I stopped lessons in high school because I was focused on my flute stuff more there was a point where actually like I I think over like for the most part my proficiency in flute was a lot more advanced like than when I was in piano for some reason things like flute was just a lot easier for me to get better at than piano (laughs) Mm. for some reason um so I started to focus on flute in high school but um yeah there there's a part of the exam so there was a performance part where you're kind of reciting these pieces that you have to play and then there's also a theory part where you yeah you have to just get tested on your music theory knowledge and there's an ear training part uh where yeah basically you have to apply your music theory knowledge Right, like the, I guess the testing person administrator would be playing certain things on the piano, like, and um, maybe after that, um, they'll just <laughs> get some notes and be like, okay, now you have to name what chord is that or what scale is that, um, and that was something that, I so I took, uh, I guess music theory lessons with as like a group. There was like a kind of like a private tutor who would like kind of do group music theory classes on the side. And um, for some reason, well, for some reason, there would uh, there would be other kids who just it just seemed like it was always the most challenging part of the exam for everyone. But for me, I'm like, guys, it's so easy. Just you, you just spell out like they have, they play the notes and then you can just spell out what chord it is. And this was you in high school. Oh no, this was me in like uh grade school. So I was like, maybe, I think, I think it was actually when I was in third or fourth grade where I was in this tutoring class. Oh, yeah, I was like maybe nine years old and I was wow. like, it is not so hard. Like, 
<laughs> well, I, well, at the time it would see, always be like, the, I would be the only person getting it. And I'm like, wow, these idiots just like, don't know how to spell out the things we just learned. Like, come on guys. Like we just learned this, but it turns out that like, oh yeah, I had this skill where I could know what notes and these people didn't. So of course it's harder. Like you can't, there's like two levels of it. It's like, you have to know your theory and then also have like a overall emotional understanding of what these theory sounds like so yeah. that you can identify what like a, a nomenclature, like a, like, that's funny. You just get an emergency alert. <laughs> yeah. Did you make that? Oh, I did just get one. Yeah. This is a test. Okay, yeah. this is a test of the National Wireless Emergency Alert System. <laughs> so for everyone that's listening, we just got a wireless emergency. <laughs> you probably did too at this time in history. But Jasmine, I think what you're mentioning is so brilliant of how you you identified that you had a unique skill. And then what it sounded like before we kind of changed subjects to how did you identify it was taking that skill to people and saying and and advertising yourself with that and saying yeah. like here's my here's my added value on top of a, just a traditional person with maybe necessarily a degree trying to get experience or even in school like I, I think that's brilliant and so what was their feedback in terms like anytime you have a leveling up you know advantage I think people should you know that's what you should focus on. So the fact that you did that is incredible. So yeah. what was their feedback when they heard like, you know, that you have, you know, impeccable pitch or like ability to interpret, um, you know, what the pitches are? Yeah. Is that like a wow? <laughs> it is a wow, but there is also this, there's a tone of pretentiousness sometimes with it. Like, yeah. I don't know if you know the, the artist Charlie Puth. I do. Yeah. And there's also uh, Jacob Collier, who is, they, they both have this skill. And I think Jacob Collier, he has actually a even more precise, perfect pitch. I think there's different levels to it. There's a spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> a spectrum pitchness. of perfection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah our perfectionism is a spectrum um because for me actually I I will be somewhere on the I guess the lower end of precision where I actually for for the most part any instrument that's like has a defined tuning um I can identify and sometimes I can identify if basically most tunings are to 440 hertz like the middle a like the note that means a on like a piano is tuned to 440 and I can tell when it's at least extremely flat when it's like lower than that or extremely high but then there's sometimes when it's close where I can't tell you exactly what it is and then another weird thing for me is that with voices is where I struggle I can do that with all instruments except voices precisely so with voices I have to actually think about it and like kind of calculate my way to what I realize what it actually is whereas other instruments I just somehow just know but yeah with voices I noticed that there's a lot of harmonics from a voice and there's the way that people project is so different that it actually introduces different notes that kind of cloud my 
knowledge of it. But anyway, um, to answer your question, yeah, uh, for the most part, if it's something that is useful to them, like it makes their job easier musically or or like for the software company where they were making a they were making a product, they call it virtual instruments. So yeah, you'd be able to have the sound of an orchestra on your computer in, in this digital audio workstation I was talking about earlier. And they made these libraries of orchestras and brass instruments, and they would be recording these live and then programming it into their music software so that you can play it from your computer. But I guess there were budget differences and timing differences where they didn't have enough time to like properly tune things. And the way things ended up showing up in their software, it was kind of slightly out of tune. Oh, interesting. And it just happened that I was just like, hey, I know you guys do need some kind of precision type stuff and I can get you that because I actually have perfect pitch. And Honestly, through this, I think I became more accurate with pitch. Like mm-hmm. in high school, uh, for as a flute player, I actually did this thing that was... Um, so we're going to take a temporary pause on this recording, and I'd like to update you on some exciting things. So Jasmine is also a very incredible hiker. She has done some incredible... Um, pilates and yoga work and while we were out in california for the space meetup we went on this incredible hike and jasmine led the way so it was a really fun fun time trying to think of other fun facts about jasmine she's out in california and she's worked with some incredible artists and when jasmine comes back i would love to ask her about her interactions but For those of you that do not know, Jasmine worked with a group called Chaim, and also with, um, she just released the music. Jasmine, who was it? Olivia Rodrigo. (laughs) Olivia Rodrigo! Jasmine is here, but currently running down and out, and is a recognized, acclaimed audio engineer who's won many awards for her work alongside these two artists. So when you hear Chaim, you hear Olivia Rodrigo's work, um, and specifically Olivia Rodrigo's latest song, Jasmine was able to help and um, support on. Beyond that, uh, Jasmine is back, baby. No, she's not. Let me keep going. This is great. Um, Jasmine has a very close relationship with her parents and I'm trying to think about um, food wise that we've enjoyed while we were out in the California space meetup we enjoyed um, a comedy show together she enjoys comedy Jasmine is an incredibly talented and um (laughs) is incredibly talented kind brilliant person who i've been honored to get to know so (laughs) as she gets back into her space i would like to re-welcome to the space talk podcast miss jasmine chen can we get a round of applause please 
Jasmine, I was telling our listeners about your experience working with Olivia, Rodrigo, and Chaim. Can you talk about how you got connected with them? And also, you are you were a nominated artist, uh, audio engineer, for an incredible award. If you could please share that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, both, both projects that you're mentioning, um, it was actually through... Uh, the studio where it's called Heavy Duty Studios and it's under a music publishing company called Heavy Duty Music. And just to give a quick brief on like what music publishing is, is it's the companies that basically are in charge of putting their music into a catalog and making it available for syncs which is for music and film like i mean film and tv and any other place where they would want to license the music and they also keep track of like basically all the the money that you will be generating from streaming from any kind of usage of the music as well so um but they also put a lot of songwriters and producers and artists together to kind of keep the catalog growing and they wanted to create a studio that would facilitate that and uh that oh yeah specifically this music publishing company was co-founded by uh this producer named Ariel Rekscheid and he is I guess his very first hit I think well two things his very first hit was he was part of this band called the hippos which was like a ska band back in the 90s and he was in when he was a teenager eventually he was like i'm not into this and became a producer and his first hit was uh hey there delilah by playing oh team. wow yeah and um he also went on to like make climax by usher and he worked with vampire weekend um on a lot of their albums and so he's built this, you know, big discography and this specific sound of, and it's a lot of live bands and this eclectic old school, or just like, he just has a kind of specific sound that he has about him, but also this background of like electronic and just a lot of cool projects that he's worked on. Like he's worked with like Blood Orange, Sky Ferreira, Cass McCombs. He even worked on a Madonna song. He did that song with Adele, which is called When We Were Young. So, yeah, it was very cool to be able to kind of work with him and learn all those different kinds of recording techniques that are kind of unique to his sound and to his process as a producer. And and it, it's something that was definitely beyond what I had ever like touched upon with other studios this was kind of a studio that was more built for him with all of his gear. He had all his vintage gear from the 60s. He was a huge Beatles fan. So I got to learn about all this. He essentially bought as much of, there's this book, like a, not an anthology, but there's a book that kind of describes all the equipment that the Beatles ever used when it comes down to instruments, to microphones, to hardware equipment. And Ariel decided to try to buy as much as that as possible. And so I did a lot of experimentation alongside him. And um, a lot of that was used in the Heim album. And I actually started as an intern with through them, but like really quickly jumped from like barely paid intern to like suddenly like their main engineer. Wow. 
it was like, it was kind of out of necessity because they kept their crew very small. Um, and actually when I first started at heavy duty, funny enough, I mean, the selling point for me to stay and just to work as a unpaid laborer was actually Danielle Heim, who's the <clears throat> middle sister, the, the lead singer of Heim. She was actually in one of the rooms. There was like four rooms through them were writing rooms. One was like the actual big, big recording room. And she was in one of the writing rooms. She was just starting to write the album that I ended up working on. And I remember just seeing her guitar pick on the desk after she had left and I had was give, being given a tour and I'm like, wait, I'm such a huge fan of this band. And they're just like, oh, wait, they, they just hang out here. They just work out of here. Cool. I've sold <laughs> like <laughs> take up my life. Let's do it. And um, for me, what was incredible process just to learn how they create music in this way. Cause I'm, I was used to at that point uh, working with producers who basically made beats in their computer or just, you know, kind of grab samples and that kind of thing. Um, and maybe at most played a little bit of guitar, but I never knew that like, I never knew how to record drums. I didn't know how to record organ or like bass amplifiers. And that was something that I all learned like during the process of them making the album. He had brought in a bunch of other more established and incredibly knowledgeable engineers who've worked with like all of these other legendary people. And they kind of became my mentor just by me harassing them with questions of like why do you use this and like what do you do with that and I was just just fascinated by all this gear that I was surrounded by and I, you know there were definitely moments where I really shied away from asking too many questions and there was a point where I'm like actually I just really want to know this I'm just actually that passionate about the history of equipment and essentially just learning most of my engineering chops at this studio and to answer your question, well, first they actually found me through a music production school that I used to work at called IO Music Academy, which is <laughs> my uh, current <laughs> screen grab Zoom title, right? But but um, I used to work at this music production school, and we had invited basically the CEO of the music publishing company to talk about publishing for the students, and then. Yeah, that's first, that's how they stole me because they saw that, that I was the studio manager there. And they're like, wait, we have, we're building out this new studio. I can tell you're really passionate about making music because at the time I was kind of producing with uh, one of my coworkers and producing as in just like making beats and making music from, from our computers. And I had, I was actually asking him a lot of questions during his, his guest lecture and he was like, well, yeah, we'd love for you to check it out. And that's how basically I got roped into all of it. And um, yeah, the album itself, which is the one called Women in Music Part 3, was basically the album that kind of followed my growth too. Because I started <laughs> in the very, very beginning of their process. I started as an intern not knowing anything about drum recording or like even proper grand piano recording, any of that, just only had known how I would do it in my own bare YouTube university knowledge. 
and just like my own experimentation. Yeah, that was me as an intern at the beginning of that process. And by the end of the album, I was like, yeah, fully their engineer. And having had a lot of repetitions of like, here's how they like to record drums or here's how Ariel likes to record this piano or this guitar and here are the pedals. And we, we were, we're dealing with tape machines, which is a very old school way of recording back in the day when they didn't have CDs or computers, they were recording to these tape machines to go into these big reels that I'm sure maybe you've seen in like old movies and whatnot. But when it got nominated for album of the year, it was kind of weird for me to process it as like, I'm now a Grammy-nominated engineer because for half of that process of making that album, I did not know what I knew by the end of the process. It's not like I came to it with all the knowledge of here's how I would record this sound for drums. And a lot of it was me kind of being instructed on what to do, but then also eventually knowing the knowledge of my own study, my own research and my own experience that I was able to still add to the process of like, here's how to do things faster, I guess, with the software. And, but yeah, I did have this weird, man, yeah, just an imposter syndrome of like, well, did I really earn this? Because <laughs> I, yeah, I, it's not like I, it was all of me from the beginning. I just grew with it. But then at the end of the day, I still, you know, I did work a lot, a lot of hours. And I think as blessed as, I am to like receive that recognition alongside them. It was more so, I think I was more proud of being able to just grow as an engineer through the process, which I'm like, there's no specific award for that, but sure. <laughs> well, uh, I think, I think I, I like hear you a million percent on imposter syndrome and like when you're growing and going through it, it's hard. And I, so I totally, I totally hear you. And I will say that something that goes without saying also is that your talent led the experts to be attracted to you and trust you and that you added value in that perspective and, and deserve to be in that room and take space. So it's really cool. To, I think you have an immense amount of humility around how incredibly talented you are. And I think it's a really beautiful trait and also that you are just backing up that incredibleness with such skill is so cool so on that note um how how has it been since that recognition and since since that album is that something that gave you further fervor to continue to augment your brand and and grow and maybe you could talk a little bit about that and then I want to also maybe conclude on what are some really exciting things you're looking forward to um and are there any ways in which you know you're looking for support well the first part <laughs> yeah uh, sorry that was a multi-part and no it's okay no I just like had to rehash it in my brain really quick but yeah it since so that nomination happened in November of 2019. And so the actual Grammys ended up being in COVID times. So my Grammy nomination was not something that I could have celebrated in person. Um, They ended up doing like a, yeah, a socially distanced, very small scale live broadcast version of 
the grant. <laughs> but I guess because of the circumstances, everyone was just, yeah, on their phones and just digitally connected. And so I think at least a lot of people paid attention at that time and was like, whoa, Jasmine, you got that. And people started like, <clears throat> and also surprisingly, people who I had not talked to in probably like 10 years since high school was reaching out to me like, congrats. And I'm like, oh, no, like you, re- you remember me? <laughs> it was cool and really exciting because then I was just starting to realize, okay, finally, if that feels like even though I had that imposter syndrome of like, well, this was not something that I fully claim as mine, I guess, but yeah, I did feel that I, my hard work was paying off to some extent. And like, I guess maybe more than I had expected it to, and more than I had thought my level was at the time, but yeah, it did like help put me more on the map. And a lot of people were kind of starting to refer me because basically to put it simply I am a woman of color (laughs) and I do this I have I do this career where there's not a lot of women of color doing this um and there are a lot of artists who are women of color or who would probably benefit from being in a room with someone more like them simply because recording is such a vulnerable process uh, especially with singers, you are your voice as an instrument is an incredibly vulnerable place to be in because you're trying to emote and express yourself. And there are times when you'll mess up and like you don't want to be around someone who's just like, yeah, like bro, like I'm a blah blah blah, like let's go, let's let's just like get through this kind of thing. And so I started becoming recommended by other producers and other people as like, hey, this is really dope engineer who I think you would, and with music, there's a huge emphasis on the word vibe. (laughs) Like, I mean, I think that's a generational thing, but also like, yeah, do you vibe? I think one thing that I will say, or has helped combat my imposter syndrome is realizing that so much of music is just comfortability. Having the safe spaces is just so, so crucial to your creative processes do you feel safe enough to express yourself in such a vulnerable way and um, to connect with people? Cause music is also a lot about connection. So, you know, the way that re- people, that music becomes popular is because people connect to it. And that requires a lot of connection within the process of recording and creating the music itself. So whatever can facilitate that con- connection within an artist, it has to happen around them. So I realized, okay, I realized that I at least have the wherewithal to be able to read a room when people are uncomfortable. I have the intuitive understanding of, okay, here's a time where maybe I don't talk too much, or maybe I ask some questions or try to like help snap them out of their, their rut that they're in. And I think that is something that I've started to learn to give myself more credit for because there's I've now been in enough rooms at least especially with like engineering related rooms where like we kind of network or gather to to chat to gripe about music industry things and I'm like some of y'all are really nerdy and assholey and (laughs) and I'm just like oh I think I realize why people hit me up and refer me and like ask for me back and it's because like I, yeah, I make people comfortable and I can vibe with them. And 
just be a good hang at the end of the day. And that's something that I feel like has more and more weight, especially nowadays where a lot of the technical skills actually can be learned in a DIY way where a lot of artists actually are recording themselves um, for the sake of budget and also for the sake of convenience. And as some people, like there was a, there's another artist that I work with. Her name is Sid, S-Y-D. Uh, she was part of, or she still is part of a pretty well-known group called The Internet, also like Odd Future, which is where Tyler the Creator is from. And uh, she actually prefers recording on her own. She used to be an engineer for for the other guys actually too. So when people actually do hire an engineer to help facilitate the process, they're going to choose someone who is either extremely, extremely knowledgeable about what they do. For like the example of when I was working on the Olivia project, I was actually mainly assisting the main engineer who, his name is Dave Schiffman. He used to be Rick Rubin's main engineer back when they were doing System of a Down and all that. So when Dan Nigro, who is a good friend of Ariel Rekshide, had asked us all to like help him with the Olivia project is because he wanted to get these big drums that were like specific to the genres that we were already familiar with and getting a sound that was beyond his scope of knowledge. And Mm. that's a lot of like what it is. It's either like, you know, something that, you know, how to do a very specific technique that I don't know, or you are just a good vibe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you can do the job decently enough, but I feel comfortable and yeah, safe around you. And I think that's a lot of it. It's just, it's like, can you be a good hang and can you do the job sufficiently enough where you're not getting in the way of people's creativity? No, I, I really, I love that. Cause I think also there's a lot of, there's a, in it's, there's a saying that, that business is not personal. But Mm -hmm. I think that's totally wrong, that business is between two or more people. And it's like, business is very much personal. Your relationship is not with an entity, it's with a person. And like, to your point, right, music is personal. There's, it's such a personal art form of giving. And so when you can facilitate that, um, I think that's, incredible Jasmine I feel like I could talk with you about this for (laughs) hours on end I love it so much but I want to um kind of twofold one go on to art do you have any asks for the community I just want to make space for you to be able to have you know an ask for anyone listening can reach out and have that be a foundation for starting the conversation um and then also just leave space for if you have any announcements yeah I currently in terms of my actual like music and recording career, it's it's at a really cool place where I'm being very consistently hired for projects and I'm starting to delve more into producing, which has been really nice. And uh, I think through this process, also overcoming more imposter syndrome and feeling more comfortable in like my skills. But uh, in terms of like other ask is like one thing that has become kind of more of a theme for me is that I've been actually contemplating how I would be living my future um, with the knowledge that I have. And part of my understanding now is that I don't think that I can actually be recording forever. They're really long hours and they're a lot of the times they're just very erratic schedules that 
to me, if it, I don't see it really changing from this, just from the process of how music creation works is, yeah, it just doesn't seem like a very ultimately sustainable thing for the long term. I feel like I would still want to do it. It's just I can't do it all the time like I can right now. Something that had come to me was this. I mean, this also feels very vulnerable to say, but yeah, this idea that I had, which was actually came out of me needing a new backpack. And then somehow in my mind, I'm like, oh, I want like this kind of feature and like hopefully this and oh, it'd be dope if there was this kind of like Thunderbolt uh, hub with like some kind of connectivity that could make it easier. And I kept researching backpacks that I wanted to buy. And I'm like, there's nothing that falls in the line of what I actually need for my day to day life. And I know that I'm not the only engineer who would need this. So, yeah, I've kind of been really brainstorming around a backpack idea of that's geared towards creatives in the entertainment industry, mainly producer, music producers, recording engineers, live engineers. Like a lot of people do a lot of electronic computer based programming in their live music programs now too, uh, live music concerts as well. And even down to film people, essentially just a way for people to be able to have access to their hard drives and also like all these licenses that come with like there's USB and Thunderbolt, all these kind of things without actually having to like unplug and replug and cable, like bundle up all your cabling and just a way to facilitate getting in and out of where you need to be as an engineer, as a producer, as a sound person in general, as quickly as you can. And just trying to, yeah, I, I, have been trying to figure out like how I would design this backpack and how people even get started with how they create their products. And that's something that I really want to learn a lot more about of like, where do you find your manufacturers? Where do you find the funding to to even get this process going when you don't even have a product yet? Yeah. All of this is extremely new to me because I come from music and I've been, it's been not haunting me, but it is a thing that like, every time I'm like, ah, like, oh, maybe it's something that people don't need. And, and like, maybe one day it'll like go out of there's, there will be not much, not, not as much of a necessity for it. And it just kind of keeps hitting in my face of like, well, you want this. And then like some other person would be like, oh, I wish there was something. And I'm like, wait, I actually have this idea of exactly what I would want that would be fixing a lot of our problems right now. So yeah, it's coming to a point where I'm like, I actually just want to make more strides and like learning as much as I can about this process. So I can actually like, just keep making at least a little bit of progress a little, all, each day that I can, because I, there's just so much that I want to uh, have ideas for about like how to make my peer and, and I, our lives easier <laughs> when, when things are already kind of messy as it is. So yeah. Well, I, I love that. And I think the the idea of taking an issue that you personally have the problem of and wanting to solve it is the root of all really great, you know, entrepreneurial breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. And I hope that we are able to get you some really exciting insights because I personally would love to hear too how other people have started their their journeys, how they found their manufacturers. I'll tell you from my experience, it is a 
fun journey of a lot of conversations where you really try to get warm introductions uh, over cold. And even if you need to get cold, that's okay. But how do you make sure you're vetting all of your suppliers? How do you make sure that they're experts in, you know, getting reference checks? And um, how do you know the questions to ask? Uh, yeah. which really stems from knowing what you need. So that's a whole other space talk that we could do down the road. Uh, and I'm happy, <laughs> I'm happy to do that. And I think that's an excellent idea. Um, so maybe just stay tuned, everybody, for the next space talk on customer product, you know, uh, ideation. But uh, Jasmine, I, I love you. I think you're like one of the coolest, coolest, coolest Um individual smartest most fun charismatic talented i can go on and on um and i want to just give you the space for the floor of if you have you know just to give you the last word uh pretty much do you have any asks beyond that which we just talked about or any fun announcements you'd like the community to know aside from the asks that i would love to know everyone's process i think my only announcement is to go listen to Jonah Matono's upcoming <laughs> single called Moth. It's coming out this week. Yeah. He's the reason why I'm a part of space anyway. So yeah, I would love everyone to be able to promote that song. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so excited. We'll be able to do a big blast when Jonah does that. Uh, Jonah introduced Jasmine to space and we love Jonah so uh, everybody go listen to Moth we'll make sure to have that information available and Jasmine you are a queen so thank you so much for taking the time today to do this space talk and I'm looking forward to our next conversation about product development (laughs) I'm so excited thank you